we need a little bit of context uh, about this first reading to understand why it was selected to go with this gospel. Remember that the, the Jews were taken into captivity. Remember one of the, the, the big events in the Old Testament was the Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians took the, the Jews into captivity for some 60 years, and they completely destroyed Jerusalem. They, they leveled the temple and destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem. And this was, of course, an incredibly traumatic event um, for all kinds of reasons. Um, but primarily because the Jews who were taken into captivity believed that it meant the you know, the extinguishing of their culture. They thought, in fact, that it was the end. This is how you got rid of a culture. You amalgamated it into your own. So the Babylonians were basically, you know, uh, you know bringing the, the Jewish culture into their own culture. They destroyed the Jewish culture. And if had the, had the Jews stayed in ba Babylonia or Babylon a whole lot longer, too many more generations, they would have completely forgotten their culture. It would have been completely lost. But lo and behold, King Cyrus of Persia comes and conquers the Babylonians and allows the Jews to go back home. So the books of, of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about the reestablishment of Jerusalem and the reestablishment of the culture. And that's what we hear today. So what's happening is, is Jerusalem is being rebuilt, the temple is starting to be rebuilt, etc. And the event that we have, um, it, that we hear today, is Ezra gets up and he's essentially reminding the people of, of the covenant that God has made with them. He's reading for them from the scrolls. He's reading for them the law of God, the words of God, of how God shows them as his people, of how they made this covenant, right? How Abraham made this covenant so that for all generations that God would, that the Lord God would be their God and they would be his people and they would be committed to each other until the end of time. And the words that, that God had given to them that were written down were words of love. I mean, we hear, you know, that, that uh, he reads the law and I, I think sometimes when we hear law, it sounds, well, it sounds like law, you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't sound like love. And uh, it doesn't sound that way to me. But, but for the Jews, the law was, was a loving thing because, because the law represented God showing them how to live. It represented that God was teaching them how he wanted them to live as his people. So this is why they love the law. You know, the, the Psalms speak of, of how they love the law of God. They spoke of how they loved the law of God because it was an expression of his intimacy with them, of his covenant with them, that they bound themselves to this relationship with God. So for 60 years, for some 60 odd years, right, they were in captivity. That's quite a few people who die and then who are born who have never heard the words of God. The words of God had not been proclaimed repeatedly when they were in captivity. 
And so now here they are back in Jerusalem and they have the ability to freely express and proclaim God's word. And they're able to receive God's word once again. It's a day of great rejoicing. Now we move to the gospel. And, and here we have Jesus coming home. He's, become, he's begun his public ministry, right? right? The beginning of his public ministry begins with, with his baptism. That sort of kicks it off. All right, last week we had his first miracle, right? the wedding at Cana. So now he comes back home. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he, he chooses a scroll from Isaiah. Remember, the prophet Isaiah speaks of the coming Messiah. It speaks of him. Isaiah is predicting Jesus. So he picks a scroll that speaks of him, and he reads about who this Messiah is going to be and what he's going to do. This Messiah is going to fulfill the law. The law is not a thing unto itself. It's, it's meant to set people free, to unbind them from their sins, right? To unbind them from their captivity, right? And, and the images of opening the eyes of the blind and and allowing the deaf to hear, etc. These beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord reads this again, standing up like, like Ezra, standing up before the people, proclaiming the good news of the Lord. And then he sits down, which, which in the East is, is a very important thing because when you sit down, it means that's a posture of teaching. So he sits down to teach. It's an authoritative position. So he sits down to teach and he says, today, the scripture passage is fulfilled. It's fulfilled in him. This is good news. It's not always received as good news, of course, by the Jews at the time, but it's good news to us. Because in this moment, right, the, the fulfillment of the law is at hand. The good news that God has come to set prisoners free. To bring, uh, to bring an end to strife. To bring an end to the reign of sin and evil. You might say, well, when is that going to happen? It's already happening. When is an end to sin going to happen? It's already happening. It's happening in us. It's happening on the altar. It's happening in the confessional. It's, an, it's happening through the action of God's grace. It's already happening. Imagine a world where Christ had not come, right? We think, it's, it's so easy to think, well, how could it be worse? It could be worse. Imagine a world without Christ. Imagine a world still awaiting the Messiah. But the Messiah has come. Jesus has come and he, he awaits us to receive him. So that the liberation he, he wishes to give us can be at hand. Our salvation is at hand, which, which means we need not wait for it as though it's, it's something that merely is going to happen to us later. It's something that's being accomplished in us now. It's already being accomplished in us through the, through the operation of God's grace. So that already we have 
a taste of heaven. Already we have a foretaste of what awaits us if we only choose to accept it, if we just open our hands and say we desire it. And so it is good news. You know, it's funny how many people, uh, children say this all the time. I don't know if you get this. Why do I have to go to Mass? I remember when my, um, are there some teenagers? There's some teenagers. They always sit in the back, so I can't see them. I can see you. Hi. <laughs> I remember my nieces and nephew, uh, in turn, as they get older, Uncle, why do we have to go to Mass? You know, which as a priest is kind of a, I say, well, you have to go to Mass because you have to come see me at work sometimes. Um, <laughs> no, I say more than that. But of course, as they get older, they, they, they hopefully get a, a larger, when you're young, you never want to do what you have to do, right? But we hope that we grow out of that a little bit. We hope we grow out of that a little bit and we begin to see what's good. We see what's good for us. Right? We see, we, can you imagine a world where we could never hear the beauty of God's word, like those Jews in captivity who could not worship and hear God's word for so many decades. They couldn't hear the beautiful words of scripture and they longed to hear God's word and they couldn't hear it. They longed to worship God and they couldn't worship. Imagine, I mean, how blessed we are, actually consider how blessed we are that we can worship as we choose, that we can come here and we can hear God's word and receive his sacrament. What a, what, what a true blessing that is. Indeed, we are privileged. Indeed, our salvation is at hand. Indeed, today is a day for rejoicing. Please stand.